You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to episode 97 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And uh, we don't have any follow-up this week. We're just going to drive right into new topics. And, oh my God, <laughs> Apple made a f***ing battery case. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. Do, do we just want to go down like the list of jokes? <laughs> like the, It looks like a Band-Aid. It's like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Notre Dame? Notre Dame. It's got like a big hunchback. It's really weird looking, Mike. <laughs> well, that was like my joke was like they made something that is just function and not beautiful and everyone's losing their hair now in the opposite direction. That's true. But the one thing I can kick back on its purely function is it's only like an extra 30% battery. Like it's not a gigantic, oh my God, you can go for a week without charging your iPhone. It's yeah, I think it's 80%, but 80%? yeah, you can't, you can't completely charge your phone from it. Yeah, and it based on the Band-Aid look to it, there's obviously like a lot of extra space that could have been. And I, I've been hearing people go to bat for it, and they're like, oh, well, those, those Mophie cases are hideous. They have a giant, smooth, perfect curve that if Apple had designed, everyone would be pissing themselves over how amazing the curve is and how it meets the golden ratio in some crap. But because it's <laughs> not Apple making that curve, it's terrible. And this is where the the whole reality distortion field just it, it's it's the blessing and the curse because they made something as you say that is purely functional and you could debate like well, could it have been more battery or could they have disguised it differently but it is purely functional and now everybody's like oh my god they're admitting the battery sucks oh my god this is the <laughs> ugliest battery case ever made and it's like if you're Johnny Ive you just have to be like oh my god I'm just going back to my white room. <laughs> And I will see you guys at WWDC. Bounce on a few walls. I'll emerge <laughs> later. <laughs> well, I mean, I have linked because, you know, apparently the Fuhrer got big enough that Gruber had to weigh in with a, you know, 10,000 word article. So <laughs> I don't even have anything to say. He has, he has pretty like mundane, reasonable things to say about it. Like, I don't know. He, he's not saying it's pretty, blah, blah, blah. It's a battery case tries to tries to like argue why you know if I were Apple designer that came up with this what would be going through my head um but uh go read it if you want <laughs> I don't care <laughs> do you think this is the the tacit admission that the battery life sucks or are you of the more popular Apple apologist camp that it's like we want that sweet accessory money we're not saying the accessory is valid we're saying we'll take your money for it <laughs> Um, I'm kind of like, I can, I can understand and even feel some of the people that are like, could you just make it a millimeter thicker and give me some more battery? Like, just do that, please. But I also kind of recognize that most of the loudest people that complain about a dying battery are people that use their phone nonstop, like all day. <laughs> And I don't know the data on that. Is that a niche? Maybe it's fine that they compromise a little worse on the battery life cycle because most people are at a desk all day and you just plug it in anyway. Yeah, or in a and, car. You got the car charger. And so maybe, 
maybe a lighter phone is okay up to a certain extreme of like, oh my God, we don't need to go thinner. Don't take away the <laughs> headphone jack. But, you know, is is a thicker battery fine slap a case on it if you are in that niche or is it you know is that a bigger population than apple wants to believe exists i do wonder if there's something to be said about how thick the reality distortion field is when someone can look at the iphone and i mean i i prefer my my android as we've talked about but it's a pretty sharp looking phone you know, the, the iPhone 6 and 6S, I really didn't like at first. I think I even complained about them on the show, but they've kind of grown on me. Like, I, I understand the design of it. I still think the 5 and 5S were the best. They looked like, they looked solid as well yeah. as pretty. And, and I, I just really like that look. But I think it's interesting that Apple makes these devices like the MacBook One, like the iPhone, where people complain about the battery, like the uh, the Mac Pro garbage can, where it it looks really great in a press shot, but then on somebody's actual desk, it looks like it's on freaking life support because there's all these things hanging <laughs> off of it. And even with an iPhone, you have um battery case or you have a, you know, like a little stupid folio that also holds your driver's license. And now with the iPad Pro, the pencil is like sticking out of the side, all stupid and awkward. <laughs> so I think it's kind of amazing that they are they're not immune to this criticism. I mean, everyone knows these are weird design choices and they look terrible. And yet if you ask someone to describe a Mac pro, they will just describe like the garbage can, not all of the crap hanging off of it. Yeah. And it's like, how do you do that? How do you make sure that the product shot is the way people remember it, even though that's not how they see it in daily life. So I don't know. Maybe that's why they just don't care about this stuff. Cause they're like, yeah, you're going to think it's ugly and then it's going to be in your backpack or your purse and yeah. we'll have 80 of your dollars or well, however that, much it is. I mean, context matters too. Like one of the ugliest screenshots is the magic mouse when you plug in. Oh God. But the, the to be turtle. fair, you do that maybe once a month. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to bed. I'm going to plug the mouse in. And yeah, like I don't really have a defense for why didn't they just put it in the side? Oh my God, just <laughs> let me do that. But, you know, it's a little different than like if I had to charge it every day, I would be throwing that thing against the wall immediately. <laughs> I just think, I can't think of another company that would be, have such a rift between product shot and reality and would get away with it. <laughs> like when you go to McDonald's, you don't, no part of you expects it to look like the way it does in an advertisement. You know, you're going to get <laughs> a pile of sad, sweaty styrofoam. But they're never going to advertise the saggy pile of crap. <laughs> right. But you know what you're getting into. Whereas I feel like with a lot of Apple products, like you look at the the battery case product shots and you're like, telling yourself the bump's not that big or like with the pencil sticking out of the side of the ipad you're like oh i'll just it'll be on my desk when it's like that or with the turtle mouse you're like oh it'll be i'll be asleep when it's upside down and like you don't walk into a mcdonald's and you're not helping <laughs> you don't walk into a mcdonald's and say like well my eyes will be closed while i'm chewing because they'll be filled with tears it's probably just the fact that the the rest of the mass of the tech industry that has plenty of bad design to go around people are just used to <laughs> yeah. 
I guess I mean Is that you, why they get away with it even though they <laughs> claim to be the best at design and the best at open source? We let's not forget that. <laughs> oh, God. That's I will be interested to see how that plays out in the wider community, that comment. <laughs> but I th- I think your your comment is spot on. Like they finally made something that's basically strictly functional and everybody was like, <laughs> like what do you want? We want a perfect magical balance of form and function. It's like, well, there are sacrifices that have to be made. No. Send Johnny Ive back into his white room and tell him he can't come out <laughs> until it's fixed. I will say I've been actually wanting to mention this for like, I don't know, weeks and weeks now. And this is a perfect little discussion to slot it into. Um, and before I completely derail this, do you have anything else to say about the battery case? Nah, I'm, I'm done with it. <laughs> okay, so I have here my my iPad Air, right? And it's got a smart cover on it. Okay. So when I I first got this, because this is my work iPad, so I didn't pick it out. I didn't pick out the case or anything. It had a full wraparound folio, like the full leather back and then a full like big meaty cover. And after using it for a while, I was like, wow, this thing is, it's kind of heavy. Like it's not super heavy, but I mean, I notice it, especially compared to a Kindle or just holding my phone out in front of me. Well, I decided, um, I thought the case was too bulky. It was like catching on stuff in my backpack. So I said, I'm going to spend the $20, $30, whatever it is, and I'm going to just buy myself a smart cover because it's it's thinner and all I really care about protecting is the screen. Well, first off, the smart cover is like feather light. So when I took my <laughs> iPad out of the case for the first time, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like it's filled with helium. It's magical. <laughs> like I couldn't, I was totally floored by how freaking Did you cry a little bit. <laughs> The case, the next time we record in person, I'll have to hand you the case that I have, the original one, because it, it weighs like six pounds. It's ridiculous. So the thing that I'm, I'm impressed with about the design on the iPad uh, smart cover is, so you, you can see it right on the front. It's just all white. It's very Johnny Ives room. And then <laughs> it's like the sixth one of those and <laughs> just the opening <laughs> of the episode. But then on the back, there's the Apple logo, right? Like on the back of every iPad and on every iPhone. When you have a smart cover on your iPad, you are incentivized to lay it cover down (laughs) when you put it down on something and then you pick it up and turn it over. And as you're turning it over, you open the smart cover, which means whenever you're not using your iPad, there's this little silver billboard for, you know, for (laughs) Apple, just like laying all over your house. And I don't know if I'm crazy, but I really don't like putting this thing down on the aluminum back. Cause you go no, to, same way here. Yeah, you go to put it down and it's like <laughs> all over the, the table or counter or whatever. And you're like, ah, my iPad. So I started <laughs> putting it down face down or screen down, which means now there's this like little shiny apple just reminding me like, hey, buddy, go buy some ear pods or a lightning <laughs> adapter or something. Surely there's some connector you need. It's, it's smart. It's good design. It's good advertising i guess famous example of that is the the apple logo used to be right side up for the user when their laptop was closed but then it was upside down when they opened their laptop and apple flipped that in like the early 2000s late 90s so that it's upside down when you're not using your laptop but when you're in a coffee shop anywhere you pop that lid up it's right side up that's tough because i i bet there was a very interesting argument about do we want to 
have the user close it and be like, ah, Apple, or do we want them to be a walking advertisement? And I think that's an easy argument. The user already bought an Apple product, <laughs> show it off to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's not really that tough. But I could understand what led them to do it in the first place. Like, it was a clever thing to be like, oh, let's put it so that the person who bought it can, it's like facing them. Now, I'll take a billboard on the back of my device since they don't put anything on the front when I'm trying to watch a movie or something. Uh, they don't have they, any logos on the front. Didn't it used I to like say that. MacBook on the screen? Oh, maybe their laptops still say MacBook underneath the screen. I was talking about the iPad. I guess I switched back. Oh. Um, and the <laughs> iPhone. <laughs> yeah, I really hate having a device that says you know, Verizon on it or AT&T or whatever in giant letters on the front. And then, I mean, no, as far as I know, no iPad has ever done that. I think their laptops either used to or certain models said MacBook. I think the Air I'm said sure MacBook almost Air. everyone. And this iMac has an Apple logo on the chin. Oh, right. But that's beneath the screen area, right? Like, yeah. Whereas on a smartphone or an, on a tablet, I feel like the logo ends up on what I mean, the glass, right? It's on the screen, yeah. even though it's not the screen part. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. Yeah. That's never something I really noticed before while I was trying to watch something, but I will now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this battery thing is whatever, but there's actually some actual <laughs> problems <laughs> to talk about. And that's the Mac App Store. So you have a story. I do. So everybody craps on the Mac App Store. And we've even crapped on it a bunch of times. It, it has not grown like at all, right? So I foolishly a long time ago bought a couple of apps through the App Store uh, that were not Apple apps that, <laughs> that I did not. I love the sad, slow head shaking. You never go full App Store. Um, yeah, I bought one password and uh, I think Alfred and like a couple other things. And... Uh, I was still using 1Password, and and I love 1Password, and I was like, hey, I want to not be on the Mac App Store version because it's just a matter of time before there's like some security patch or some feature they want to add, and the Mac App Store has its crazy restrictive rules, and they're not going to let it in. So I contacted 1Password and said, hey, um, I want to pull my license out of the Mac App Store and just get a regular like you know 16-digit alphanumeric license key or whatever. This is something they have to deal with so often that they have a support <laughs> page in their like public wiki on how to transfer your license that doesn't involve a person so that you can just do it if you want to do it. And then when uh, I was looking for a text expander, you and I were talking about text expanders recently, and I was like, oh, I remember using Atex. I like Atex. It's only like five bucks. So I ran the trial for a while, and then I was like, okay, I'm happy with this. I'm going to pay the five bucks. And when I went to add my license information, there is a button right in the application that says, do you need to transfer a license from the Mac app store? <laughs> it's like they preemptively built it directly into the application. Like they know people are fleeing. So sketch this really successful. It's, I guess it's like a Photoshop alternative, right? Um, yeah. It's a, especially for UI designers. It's, it's, uh, I think it, I haven't actually used it. I want to buy it someday, but I haven't yet. <laughs> um, but I think it's a lot of vector work. So it's kind of Illustrator, but not artistic, more UI. 
Oh, okay. a lot of okay. a lot of it's like exporting features are like, are you exporting for ten different screen sizes and different resolutions? Here's one button that you can do it all with. Okay. So it sounds focused on like web work. Yeah. Okay. So they made a post on their their website on their blog about how they were not just going to let you pull your license key, but they're actually removing their app from the Mac App Store because it's so broken and it's preventing them from doing so many different features and and it's caused so many like licensing issues. It, it's just like this is a thing. It's it's like trendy yeah. to leave the Mac App Store <laughs> and let people switch their license, which is good. I mean, thank God these companies are doing the right thing instead of well, leaving I, people high and dry. It, it just seems like the economics of the system Apple has set up leads to certain kinds of one to five dollar like cheap utility where like make a gif or you know like little one-off like almost like mobile app kind of thing those kind of do okay and then if you're a big established company that sells subscription services and you just want your app to be free in the store so people install it easily um you know like even on ios like adobe and microsoft are doing fine because they don't actually sell things through the Mac App Store. They just have their apps available, and then they leverage their external business, their service model. And so that works. But if you just actually are an independent developer that makes a good app, it just sucks trying to succeed in the App Store. You can't offer incentives to upgrade. You have to launch a new app. Um, You can't bundle things. You can't do any of the economic practices that help small companies try different business models it's kind of like you need to fit what works here or leave no upgrade pricing yeah which is huge because if you plan on sticking around for a while one of the best ways to maintain loyal customers is to say hey this amazing utility you need to do your work every day that you've been using for two years we have another version and you get it for 25 percent off or 50 percent off yeah. or whatever i mean it's also different models of like trials and stuff that you just can't do in the mac app store so you know there's an incentive to make your app free because people won't try it out because they don't want to drop money without seeing what it is and uh or if you can't make it free, then you're just competing against everyone else who's their app might suck, but it's free and they're going to get installed instead of you. I think to me, the biggest uh, validator of these complaints is not just like, oh, boohoo, there's a storefront you don't want to use. You got to use the public web and burr. Yeah, fine. But the biggest validator of these complaints is that <laughs> the app store on iOS has like none of these problems. Well, <laughs> It has a few similar restrictions, but because those have always been native to the core design of the iOS operating system, it's different than limiting a general purpose computer. It's still a problem, though, because I mean, I think it's the biggest problem facing the iPad Pro is the software to really make the argument that you can live your life on this doesn't exist by and large. I mean, there's some interesting art apps coming out and some of them are pretty cool, but you know, in Microsoft, since they can sell subscriptions outside the app store, they're making a strong showing, but there is not this open playing field of awesome stuff happening. It's, it's kind of tumbleweed a little bit. (laughs) So on iOS, I know you can do beta testers, right? I think they call it test flight. Can you do, um, upgrade pricing? No. Trials? No. I mean, you can make a free app and you can gate your feature behind an in-app purchase, but you can't do a free trial. Which everyone hates. Yeah. Yeah. And no one will buy. 
Yeah, because it, it says right in the App Store has in-app purchases, which people are like, ah, you know, cross because and of garlic. crappy games. Yeah. But um, uh, but also like you you just limit your user base and people get a bad impression of your app because they're like, oh, it doesn't even do everything I need. It's like, ah, it does, <laughs> but <laughs> it just seems seems like they gotta they gotta move somewhere else on this at some point. Do you think the App Store on Mac? Is there a reason it's not almost exactly the iOS app store, like copy-pasted? I mean, I'm sure there's different engineering hurdles to distribute desktop software, but it, it seems like there'd be a lot of overlap. Well, I think in terms of policy, it is a lot like it. I mean, it's everything's sandboxed. Um, there's just limitations on what you can do that makes it more like the iOS app store. It's just it's not a monopoly uh, <laughs> as far as distribution options. It's not even a like a scrappy up and comer. It's like the last place wrong side of the tracks. It's where I go to update my Mac and nothing else. Yeah. I did realize that I get little notifications from, you know, Safari has an update or, you know, OS 10 has an update. I'm like, Oh, I could put that off. (laughs) But if it said, you know, like Chrome, as soon as I see that little indicator in Chrome, turn green i'm like hell yes let's update right now let me stop what i'm doing let's update right now and then i get a little mad at spotify i'm like (laughs) well yeah okay they've gone a little too far but with like the little chrome updater you know it's it's green when there's a new update it's yellow when it's like hey buddy there's there's been a new update for a little while and then it turns red when I you have it set to like manual updates because i never intervene i just i just let it do its thing do you actually restart your computer from time to time no or Chrome? Yeah, I quit Chrome. That's why. Okay. So for me, it's downloading the update, and all I have to do to finish is restart. But I I go, I would probably say weeks at a time. Long <laughs> enough, because they're on like a six-week release cycle. So long enough that I, I will get the little green, like, hey, buddy, time to update indicator. <laughs> no, I mean, you know I have psychological problems. Remember when I got on your computer once and just started quitting <laughs> everything? That was, <laughs> I was like, wait, this isn't my computer. What am I doing? That was really weird to watch because I remember it from my point of view. It was like in slow motion. I was just like, wait, stop. <laughs> what are you doing? Like it, it didn't even occur to me that that was something someone would just sit down and do. But it's not like you consciously decided like, I will close I'm, everything. I'm a tab minimalist. So I, I only have the tabs I'm currently using and I close them and I have developed that habit through heavy use of pocket and deciding things are not important. <laughs> so I, I have gotten better about that. I do find that I will close an application that's running that I'm probably going to need soon, but I'm not using right now, like Terminal. Like I know a lot of people just leave Terminal open all day, and I'm like, but it fires up in two seconds. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I use anything else that starts with TE. So I just hit like alt space and then TE <laughs> and then it's in front of me. I guess maybe if I had active sessions running, it'd be a big deal. Yeah. Have you found on iOS being an iPadder and an iPhoneer that there is ever an application in the description? It's like, hey, we'd love to have the certain functionality, but Apple's a jerk. Because it feels like iOS was sandboxed and locked down from the get go. And I mean, yes. it didn't even have apps at first. Yeah. But with a Mac, it's like, it's a big deal to say like, hey, there's a big part of the operating system APIs that you're not allowed to use because you're not Apple. I, I, I think I read that kind of 
language more often before a company has ever decided to make an iOS app. So Sketch being the exact same example here is they have declined to make an iOS version and they don't think they can. And, uh, or on some level, they don't, maybe it's not that they can't make the app in terms of the features of Sketch. It's we can't make the business model work. And so they've, they've avoided making it. Do you think there's any developer, um, bad will that in the Mac app store, Mac or not Mac apps, Apple made Macintosh apps are like not sandboxed and restricted in this way. So like pages or numbers, you know, those high, everybody wants to use those applications. Like those can, I think do things with system APIs that like sketches app can't do. And if I'm a developer and I'm like, Oh, I can either use your crappy store. Everyone hates that locks me out of the system (laughs) Or I can have the full access to the full suite of APIs. I don't know if they do. I guess in a way they kind of do that on iOS. Like you can't insert yeah. crap onto the notification shade or like that system level stuff is protected. Yeah. And yeah, you can you can make widgets, but it better not be a calculator because we'll take it out of the widgets. <laughs> oh, that was such a weird like two days that people were freaking out over that. Yeah. I was like, no, we have a calculator because that was so old school apple like they did that um what was it with mail i think they were like you can't make any apps that in any way that was their policy on duplication of functionality like you can't remake a core app yes yeah so no mail no calendar no well i guess they didn't have maps at that time or at least it wasn't popular it was just google maps um yeah, they, they've clearly lifted that because there's a million browsers and mail apps now, though you can't have your own rendering engine or anything. But Oh, yeah, it's so your browser is still technically Safari yeah. underneath. Um, there's at least like some security reasons they try to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they've got, especially on the Mac, just because it's such an obvious failure, and maybe the monopoly status has hidden this failure, but I think there's big questions on the iOS App Store, too, that just no one's asking because um, there's enough of a, you know, a, a money rain like party for the people on top still. I don't know. I, <laughs> it seems like uh, eventually people are going to start looking around and going, is this the world we want to live in? Can we please? Like, <laughs> it's either free apps or begging for a couple dollars. But if you make Sketch... Like, or, you know, lots of certain kinds of apps. Like, if, you know, not every app can be a service that charges a monthly fee. And so, what do you do? How do you make a living? How do you, why would you ever create new features for your product if no one will upgrade or pay for it? I guess there could be a cabal of like high level high quality app developing companies, you know, indie devs and, and small shops. Where they just all get together and say, like, hey, um, no more Patreon, no more donations, no more in-app purchase for a free app. Like, everybody's got to make their app cost money. I mean, I know that's ridiculous and, and like, a completely extreme example that would never happen, but... You might as well ask America to get together and not vote for establishment candidates (laughs) in unison. Well, I believe I'll vote for a third-party candidate. (laughs) Um, yeah i mean i just i don't know the change is never going to come from well the change is really really unlikely to come from consumers 
I think as a whole, you know, the hundreds of millions of us, we're not going to make change, but I will admit that because this is important to me, I personally have started to make this change. Like, yeah, I found when I was looking at different text expander apps for OS 10, I found several that looked almost serviceable. I was like, okay, the, the ratings are all right. And it has like, I don't need a lot of special features, but it's missing one of the kind of core features. And then when I remembered a text from, uh, from the old days and I looked at their website, I was like, Oh, it's $5. Here's yeah, $5 done. <laughs> I, and I probably would have done that without questioning it up till like 20, not because I'm just, you know, making it rain up in the app yeah. store, but because it's something that I want and I want them to keep making it. So if that thing is important to me, shouldn't I be willing to pay money for it? Yeah. And I mean, I, anything I buy for the Mac, I check if there's an independent way to purchase it first. Um, pretty much every single time. And the, I'm, I'm opening up my purchase tab right now to look at what I actually have paid for in the Mac App Store. And it looks like the only things I tend to pay for are maybe like, oh, there's a new Markdown editor. Let's try it out. <laughs> and it's only $4. Like, fine, I'll, I'll try it out. But um, you know, other than Apple's apps and free stuff from existing companies like the Kindle app, it's free. So sure, why not? Um, yeah, I don't buy anything through the Mac App Store. So I'm looking. You got me curious. I opened up my purchased. A uh, lot of OS 10 downloads. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Um, so I have Logic, right? I don't think you can go to like apple.com slash Logic and just throw a credit card number at them, right? No. So I didn't even look somewhere else for that. Uh, and not counting the free stuff. Like this is just the few things I paid money for. So I have Logic uh, and then TweetBot, which I don't think there is an alternative way to do that one. Yeah. Um, and then one password, which I switched my license away <laughs> for because it was an option. So yeah, yeah, this is not, and I use a lot of applications on my Mac. It's not just like, all I need is the browser. Like I do yeah. have other stuff running. And even though I could probably get a lot of the applications I have open right now, like Skype and Slack and Audio Hijack and all those through the Mac App Store, I'm like, hell no, no, no. Well, actually, Audio Hijack, probably not in the Mac App Store. Let's check. No, no, I don't think so. Well, it needs access to way too many low-level system APIs for it to be sandboxed. Yeah, it's not in here. But I know Skype yeah. and Slack definitely are. In fact, I used to have Slack through the Mac App Store, and then I was like, it's a web view. Why am I dealing with this? Yeah. No, I mean, that's... I internalized that feeling very quickly because it was like, uh, let's not be dependent on this. <laughs> Which is, did you ever use Linux? Not seriously. I've installed Ubuntu a half dozen times. And then you're like, neat, back to Windows. <laughs> um, I do think that's one thing about Linux that because the app, like in Ubuntu, you have app get on Debian and then like, there's a bunch of other package managers, but those are package managers. They're not like gated communities that someone yeah. has dominion over. So on Linux, you feel awesome saying like update everything I've ever installed and it goes, okay. And then you go get a cup of coffee and you come back and the terminal's churning. Yeah. Whereas people, I think a lot of people that use Macs are developers and designers and, and people who are a little more structured 
but they don't want to use Linux for one reason or another. And so when the Mac App Store came out, they were like, yes, a package manager for OS X. This will be amazing. <laughs> and then not only did it not deliver on that promise out of the gate, but it, it really hasn't like evolved or changed at all. I mean, you've been mm-hmm. using an Apple a lot longer than I have. Do you feel like the Mac App Store today is any different than it was when it was announced? No, I mean... It's just a weird copy. It's an unsuccessful copy of the iOS App Store. And it, it seems clear that it's because people have much better options. <laughs> <laughs> if you're Apple, is there... Surely, if you buy something through the Mac App Store, they take a cut, right? Just like on iOS? Yeah, 30%. It's always 30%. So then if you're Apple, aren't you incentivized to make this not suck so that people will list their apps in here? <laughs> It's not like they're providing this for the freaking good of mankind. Like, it's a revenue stream. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, I, they, their question, even on iOS, is how do you get people to pay more than a dollar or five dollars? Like, people buy more expensive Starbucks drinks, but they freak out when an app costs as much as their their coffee. Yeah, I've become a big subscriber to the cost versus usage model which there are lots of places that in in life and things you would buy that that don't that doesn't really work for but the the first time i got turned on to it was with like a desk chair and they were like yeah you could buy like a 20 dollar wooden chair but if you sit all day and i mean now they're standing desks and all that crap but if you sit all day you're in that chair for like eight hours is it really not worth a few more of your dollars to not get scoliosis in your 20s? Yeah. You know, and, and same thing with like a bed. Like even if you only sleep six hours a night, that's six hours every single night for like 10 years that you own a mattress. Like is this really not worth a few dollars and a little bit of research? And I've started to apply that broadly to sectors where I feel like it makes sense. And that's why with Atex, I was like, even if I use this once a day, it will you know pay for itself in time yeah. saved really quick. Well, it's the it's the penny wise pound foolish kind of thing. So you're saying most people are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know most people. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't want to speak for everybody. That's that's asking a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think we have another good discussion to have here, and that's uh, with Dropbox announcing that um, they made this big push a couple years ago to say, oh, maybe our file transfer thing is a feature that everyone's going to copy and we're going to become irrelevant. So let's try to push into other areas. And they launched Mailbox and Carousel. and So Mailbox being an email app and Carousel being, they're a little more dubious to me, photo <laughs> service. And... Uh, uh, they recently the the news is they recently are discontinuing these, and so I think by March they will both be completely dead and unsupported in every way, and uh, I people think will be migrated out. One, I think Mailbox is in March, and then Carousel is in like April. One of them, so. one of them gets a little more time because there is some stuff, and I think it's Carousel. I think there's some conversation features around the Carousel app that you're going to have to like export in some way. Yeah. Um, so I used Mailbox when it launched, and then I kind of left it behind. But then I was pleasantly surprised when most other mail apps started stealing its great features, the quick swipe to snooze or um, delay. And then all that stuff was like genuinely cool innovation for a mobile email app. And I was really happy to use them in my other email apps. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think that's sort of the, the trouble they found there is they, they had some genuinely cool ideas, but 
then everyone had those cool ideas and what do you do now? Um, Carousel, on the other hand, I installed it and then went, huh, <laughs> nah. <laughs> I have to imagine that the the mailbox team probably said uh, people are copying these features faster than we can fix bugs and invent new features. This is obviously a losing battle. And unless yeah. we can come up with something that either can't be copied or is prohibitively difficult to copy, we might want to reassess continued development. And I wanted to use Mailbox, man. I had the mobile app installed. I had it installed on my Mac, and they were so buggy and so crashy. Yeah. The Mac app was especially pretty... I think it was called a beta, but it felt almost alpha. Like, yeah, it was terrible. And and email is one of those things, as much as we all hate email, it's kind of like a telephone. Like, yeah, I don't really love making phone calls, but that's a solved problem. If I go to make a phone call, it had better work. Like Anyone who's ever been around me when I make a call and it drops, they can tell you I get... Or actually, what's even worse than that is that... Hey, can I can <laughs> yeah that like makes me flash white with rage because I'm like we, this is a solved problem like we figured out phone calls 80 years ago how am I having this issue right now and I think email's not really that different I don't really need a lot of flash from my email I need it to be rock solid reliable so that I yeah. can go in and reliably delete spam and then not check it again for a few hours yeah so. They, it seems clear, but it kind of raises this conversation that kind of a, has arisen every time some beloved app has died or been acquired. And that's like, people get mad. Um, don't take my cheese from me. This is my favorite <laughs> cheese. Um, you know, and I'm, I, my, my example is Sparrow because that was a, you know, a different time of let's innovate email. And then um, Google acquired Sparrow, so they didn't die, um, but they, they kind of melted into Google and they are clearly they've, they've added maybe, I don't know if they were the ones that worked on inbox or not, but um, clearly there's still email ideas happening at Google. So that's cool. And I can live with that. And especially now that inbox is available on pretty much everything. Um, I, I'm an avid inbox user, but it kind of raises that question of like people get mad when apps die, but they also get mad when they get acquired and like aren't as visible as they used to be. And, uh, I don't know. We have this cool article here from uh, inessential.com that kind of wants to yell at you for being mad about that <laughs> because the, the reality is most apps die period. That's just what happens and it, even if they get acquired, they probably are going to die. And that's just <laughs> life for apps. And, am I crazy? Is this not like a fundamental part of technology that you can't have cutting edge stuff and have everything be stable and perfect and set in stone forever? Th those are not only are those mutually exclusive, but they're dumb. Like it's it, yeah. it feels like only a human could be so silly as to want both of those extremes and then be mad when that isn't the reality of things. Well, and I just have to point to like web standards and you got people that are angry. They don't move fast enough. And okay, you ratified that thing we did 10 years ago. Good <laughs> job. And like, it's ah, uh, but then the cutting edge is the cutting edge. So what do you want? Do you think certain sectors like mail are more prone to 
I mean, I just ranted about it. Like, I just want my mail to work. And But then other people complain. They're like, oh, IMAP is a bajillion-year-old standard, and it can't do any cool stuff. And people are trying to shovel it in to do weird things. And then when Gmail announced their, like, Gmail API, everybody was like, ah, they're breaking with standards, those assholes. And it's like, which <laughs> do you want? <laughs> we can do one or the other, but we literally can't do both. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say the fallacy that whatever you know you know imap is the the one golden perfectly designed thing <laughs> that should never be changed um so uh, i wouldn't lean on that and i mean the other thing i would say is that email is a reflection of human communication and the way we are using it has changed and uh you know i feel like most people's emails are newsletters they don't want to read and <laughs> i mean depending on your workplace subscribe it probably varies widely, like your workplace is email most of your conversation with your colleagues, or is it a fraction? And uh, for a lot of the people I work with at the university, it's a huge majority of their conversations with other people. Um, but not me, thankfully. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten the feeling that email in all of its forms in work is tied really strongly to having a paper trail. Oh, yeah, I get tons of spam that's basically some system is spitting out an attachment that they've decided to email to the entire university as proof that something happened. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, there's something called logs that you could just <laughs> have come from systems. <laughs> and then only people who care about them ever have to look at them ever. But they haven't figured that one out. So we get emails. <laughs> when I first started using Slack, which I love, you know, it's a great stand in for a lot of unnecessary email communication they leaned pretty hard on, hey, it's a record. There's a record. You can search it. It's a record. For the love of God, if you need everything to be in... Se- Shove it in a channel, in everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and even uh, I, I, at the company I work for now, we have um, the policy set so that you can't edit and delete old posts. So it really is like a permanent record of communication because... That makes it a better stand-in. Because legal? Yeah, because legal. That makes it a better stand-in for email. So if you and I are having a a back and forth about, I don't know, are we going to change the color to blue or green? Is it going to be blue or green? And we agree, everybody says blue, and then you ship green. Like, I get to go back into Slack and be like, look, everybody said blue, right? Whereas I think people don't realize it, but that's what they actually want out of their email, They just want to be able to point at and be like, Jim, I told you it was blue. (laughs) Well, I mean, how many times have you heard, and you don't have to name a specific (laughs) employer or workplace, but where someone's skirting guilt over something goes, well, I didn't see that message. You should have communicated with us. And how irritating that (laughs) is when you know, like, no, we told you five hundred times over the past 18 months and you can't blame us for your ignorance see that's the problem isn't it because when someone says well i didn't see that message the correct response would be and that is entirely your problem (laughs) but they know that social decorum prevents you from doing that like if if somebody runs a red light they can't just say to the the parents (laughs) of the child they ran over like well i didn't even see that light And it's like, oh, you didn't? Oh, that's fine. We didn't like that kid anyway. It also just is a symptom to me of an organizational and maybe a world problem of noisy world. We all are yelling at each other all the time. 
and this is why no one knows what's going on because they stopped listening to everyone. And it's the the it's, signal to noise ratio. Uh, but in that S- in that S-T-R small or S- yeah, <laughs> in that small meeting, that person is basically saying you should have yelled louder and closer to my face. <laughs> and I don't. I'm like I don't want to yell in your face. I don't want to spit on you because you have to make sure you know. <laughs> Well, and this actually could probably be a whole topic on unto itself on another episode, but there's a lot to be said for personal accountability and being in an, like communication channels themselves are pretty agnostic. They don't really believe in anything or enforce much, if anything. But if you're in a room with people who are going to deny responsibility to the ends of the earth, it doesn't matter if it's email or Slack or if you carved it into stone tablets and then put them in front of their office, like it's that person is going to say, I didn't even see those stone tablets. Like there were two tablets, not three tablets. And it's like, no, there was a third tablet, which I think Mm -hmm. is either a smart biblical joke or not a very good joke at all. (laughs) It's one or the other. Uh, How did we get here? Apps die. Apps do die. Dropbox tried to make email. I guess the big question (laughs) is, you know, I still think Dropbox is one of the best cloud storage options. Um, they, they feel more rock solid than most of the other ones I have. But I wouldn't make the long-term 20-year bet on that being what they can live on. So what, what do you do if you're Dropbox? You can't make email and photo storage because Google and everyone else is coming for you and they're going to beat you at it eventually. Well, so let's, let's go down the line here. So their first thing was Mailbox, which failed but was obviously influential on the market. And I would say if you're Dropbox, the cool thing about that is you can say to your engineers and your designers, hey, look, did you see how everyone immediately copied us? That means we have good ideas. We just now need ideas that we can protect and maintain them as part of our core business. With Carousel, okay, so I need to do an aside here. Um, I installed, I remember this vividly for some reason. I installed Carousel, and as I was going through the setup steps, I have this vivid memory of going, I don't want this <laughs> and just uninstalling it. And I don't, I wasn't on Instagram at that time. I didn't do, I still don't do a ton of photo sharing. Like I just want my photos to be safe somewhere forever so that like my family and I can look at them. But something about carousel, I was just like, I don't really need another way to interact with photos because I already <laughs> don't care about interacting with photos. But I like Dropbox so much that I was tempted to just dive in. So did you use it at all? Like, were there any cool features? I I ejected from the carousel life (laughs) probably the second day at latest. And and now my life is I have iCloud and Google backing up my photos, and I don't think about them ever. I just know that they're backed up, and that's all I wanted. Well, and this is somewhere that, so with Mailbox, you could say that they got shut down because their features were so easy to copy. With Carousel, I think part of what shut them down is the amount of photos you could store in Carousel was tied to Dropbox. And unless they had some kind of agreement, I don't remember. And this was long before they made their prices a little closer to the competition. Exactly my point. So with, with iCloud, you have like five free gigs or whatever. And with uh, Google Photos, you have unlimited storage if you 
bust your photos all the way down to just high quality. Yeah. Flickr gives away a terabyte. Now Amazon's, I mean, this is more recent, but now Amazon's doing unlimited photo storage. We saw this train coming into town. like Right. And so now Carousel, whether it has features that are amazing or not, its features have to be so awesome that they override unlimited free forever. Yeah. That's a tough sell when the the core feature you really care about is all of my photos are here. And they also have the uh, the what's the word the the incumbent disadvantage of Apple users are probably going to more likely turn on iCloud and Android users are probably going to turn on Google Photos. Yep. And slightly people that are willing to explore a little bit are going to be split at best <laughs> and it's probably going to go to Google a lot. <laughs> so what do you do? Yeah, and I guess there were some some conversation features in there that they they make mention of in their hey, we're turning these off forever announcement. But they must not have been that compelling since I had literally never heard anyone talk about them a single time ever. Yeah. <laughs> um so I don't know where Dropbox goes from here. Their their most interesting thing going for them is they seem to be buddies with Microsoft right now. And uh I noticed on the Word app on iOS that you tap Dropbox and you have a full file system, which is a novelty in iOS. <laughs> <laughs> That you basically have a full file system at your disposal tied to Dropbox. And uh, well, maybe it's because I'm living in the desert of iOS, but it felt really cool. Like, oh, I've got all my stuff. I can see files in my tool that I want to open files in. And before someone tweets at me and says, but there's Dropbox integration in tons of apps on iOS. Yeah, it's not the it's same, not same though. <laughs> Popping over between apps or having it have to refresh. Like, it's No, it's not the same. So in this this goodbye forever Virginia email or email blog post, which probably went to some people as a, a letter. Oh no, wait, this is okay. Side side aside, this was one thing that I thought was funny about mailbox shutting down. I haven't used mailbox in forever. I haven't used Carousel in forever, and I got like seven different notifications that these two apps were going away. Like I saw it all over Twitter. I got a notification in the Dropbox app, which is separate. It's a separate application. And yet I still think I got a notification. I got a, uh, a newsletter from Carousel and from Mailbox and from Dropbox. And I was just like, geez, okay, I get it. You're killing your children. It's fine. <laughs> but in, in this, this email thing, newsletter, whatever, um, they say that they are, uh, focusing back onto productivity. So they're taking some of the carousel features and just folding those into how you browse photos in Dropbox, which is smart, right? The work's already yeah. done. Keep what you can. Don't just burn it all down. But features within an app don't need to evolve as quickly as a standalone application, right? So right. save some of the, the work that was done without the high expectations of a standalone application. But then there's Dropbox Paper. Have you used Paper? No, I never got, I, I asked for an invite, but never got anything. Okay, just try going to just paper.dropbox.com, and I I bet it'll just let you log in. <laughs> so for the listener who may have also not received their invite yet, uh, this is a document editor built directly into Dropbox, which means it's obviously everything is syncing with Dropbox magic, and it's got all this like beautiful markdown and then there's also inline comments. It's it's basically what would Google Docs be like if you had Markdown as the core rendering engine instead of like a, a word clone? 
And I don't think you could have gone straight from Microsoft Word to, to Dropbox Paper because we needed that Google, you know, light stripped down formatting version in between. But this, like you can embed video and it renders, you can embed images and they render. I mean, if you've ever written anything in Markdown, this is a pretty cool little editor. And I used it for a minute and then I was like, huh, I wonder if when I signed into this, it created, you know, paper, a folder called paper in my Dropbox and it didn't. I can't find where any of these documents live. That means that they live in like some hidden Dropboxy place, which feels really against what Dropbox stands for. <laughs> like I should be able to just pull out this document formatted for Markdown and maybe I'll lose some of the features and maybe there's a separate text file that has all the comments or something, but gimme. <laughs> Give me, give yeah. me my flat text file. Where the hell is it? <laughs> I don't know why. That just that that totally turned me off from using it. The minute I realized the the my stuff was like locked away somewhere, I was like, eh. Yeah, man. There really is like other than printing, there is no export. Like sharing is means bring people here, not send it to them. Right. And there's lots of smart stuff in here with, I mean, the fact that it's Markdown editing immediately makes the fanboy in me go like, Ooh, you know, I just, yeah, Ooh, purple drapes, common mark, yeah, whatever. No. <laughs> oh, that, that was a little joke that, uh, so we didn't really talk about Swift going open source and Apple's ridiculous website about it, but, uh, <laughs> there, I thought it was a nice little jab, unintentional, I'm sure that the version of Markdown they're using in their, any of their documentation is common mark and not, <laughs> Not John Gruber's. Oh my God. I didn't even put that together somehow. Like when you <laughs> said like, oh, it's common mark. I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't even think about the original source of Markdown and how he's like <laughs> yeah. their biggest cheerleader. Oh, that is just hilarious. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. This slick editor, just like ghost. Oh, the wait, blogging so tool you has... were able to log in just fine. Weren't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like even like I I was on Ghost and we actually used it for the first version of flipping tables podcast.com because we just like whatever I already have it let's just <laughs> use it. And uh that editor is so awesome and so sexy and I'm I mean I'm sure it's been duplicated a bunch now but maybe not quite as good yet but I don't care I'm not on Ghost because I don't want to be locked in to that thing. Yeah and I mean this is that editor in Ghost is exactly the problem of every other little feature thing we've talked about. Like that's a duplicatable feature. You know, this is with uh I think your your services analogy is perfect because whenever someone asks me, like, well, why would I pay for I don't know, like a, a an Office 365 subscription when Word 98 works awesome? I'm like, because you want the product to continue to exist and get better. Like that's basically <laughs> what you're doing with a subscription model is you're either paying for customer service, which I think is reasonable because that can't possibly yeah. be a one-time cost. So you're paying for customer service. You're paying for continued development. You're paying for um, hosting. hosting cloud features, like syncing things where there's ongoing server costs. Like you're no longer just paying for like, well, I bought a box that had a floppy disk in it or seven floppy disks in yeah. it. And now I don't want to have to keep paying. And I think a lot of people get that subscription. Not there's a lot of people that I think get it 
that are technical people. And I think a lot of other people just get it because they're like, oh, office used to cost $300 and now it's $5 a month. And it's like, well, yeah, eventually you'll spend $300 on it. But the intention is that you won't have to ever spend $300 on it again. You will just yeah. pay $5 forever. Well, and you just made me think about maybe this is why Apple's storefronts don't make a lot of sense to a lot of cloud companies because Apple sells one-time cost devices and that's where, you know, 99.99% of their <laughs> profits come from. And I mean, I, I see some little corners where they're evolving. They have some iCloud stuff. It's been terrible for a long time, but it seems like it's gotten a little less terrible. And they're they're dipping their toe in phones, phone as a service where you pay 30 bucks a month and you get a new iPhone every year and sort of you know, stop thinking about that carrier. Just <laughs> subscribe with us. And so maybe they'll, maybe more of their mindset will figure this out. But that's probably why they, they're like, ah, sell apps. It's like someone bought an orange or a banana from your business and not, I want bananas delivered to me <laughs> every day. <laughs> I want bananas as a service. <laughs> so, I mean, you should at some point play around with this paper app a little bit and tell me, if there's anything in here you feel is truly compelling because I didn't find it. And yeah. I, the, the, the editor that I use on Android has Dropbox syncing, but it's because I actually want the raw files and I know where they are. Cause I put them there. <laughs> yeah. And then when I'm on my desktop, I've tried uh, really hard to be one of those people who's like, I'll just fire open a Google doc. And then the first time you're trying to take notes in like a meeting where everything's moving really fast or, or you have spotty internet connection or you're not tethered or the Wi-Fi is down or whatever. And you're like, oh, crap, I just need to type words into a box. Like that is why I still do all of my note taking in local apps and store the files locally and then sync them to the cloud. And I've tried. I just tried recently. I've tried before to break out of that habit. And when I look at paper and I'm like, I don't know where the files live. I can only use it in a browser. I already have like a way more people that are using Google Docs. Like, why would I use this? Sexy Markdown yeah. Editor. UI sugar isn't yeah. enough. Sexy Markdown Editor. It, it raised my eyebrow. I was like, oh, but then, I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> then so much disappointment followed. I don't know if they have any um, incentive to let me get to the raw files. Maybe there's so much... UI sugar in here around how images get embed and where they're stored that it would be awkward to then show you in Dropbox. Like here's the giant directory tree we had to create to store the images that you embedded in this paper document. Yeah. But I don't know, like apps have had their own file extensions before. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's not a, the end of the world. We've been fighting doc X's for decades. I mean, that's we can, true. <laughs> well, and even, uh, in Logic, I remember when you were first turning me on to editing Logic profiles and I needed to get to the raw audio, you were like, yeah, it's just a folder. Just right click and you can yeah. just find like all the crap shoved in there. But it looks really nice in Finder where it's just like, oh, look, it's a Logic file. And if you move it, everything always moves with it. It's not like moving directories. Yeah. So that's I, there's even some advantages to doing it that way. Dropbox could copy that or, or do something very similar. Um, but I just, I don't want, it's, it's text. Don't like lock my text away in a magic <laughs> security format that I have no access to. And I can't even export other than printing and saving a PDF. <laughs> no, 
No. So the last part of this I want to talk about while we still have a little time here, because I don't know about you. I'm on a schedule, Mike. <laughs> is uh, do you make any of your choices about the apps you use based on how safe that company is? So like when you saw Mailbox, did you think to yourself, Dropbox seems safe? I can totally rely on Mailbox. Or does it like scare you off if a if a company gets purchased and then shut down? Like, are you afraid a small company is going to get aqua hired by Google or Microsoft? <laughs> I don't think about it much. I mean, obviously, if it looks sketchy as hell, you avoid something. <laughs> if you're like, well, I don't know why they need my social security number, but here we go. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, you have that smell test, but it's all context. I mean, if I'm just trying out a new editor a text editor it's like and it costs a dollar it's like the the risk is so low i don't think about it much but if it's like i'm running a company and i need to buy licenses for a hundred designers that are going to be like i'm going to think a lot about that (laughs) well so with something that's important to you like email i mean i know you hate email everybody hates email but it is a thing that you need to work reliably are you willing to jump to a different email app and have to maybe change all your workflows, maybe even learn new workflows to accommodate the features of that application? Or are you just, no, I'd rather live with what I have. It's fine. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm on the adventurous side. I'm willing to try anything. Um, if there's a at least a halfway decently argued reason to try it. <laughs> I mean, I try new stuff all the time anyway without someone trying to force me to switch. So I'm just on that spectrum. That's true. And I know there's a lot to be said for whatever was installed is what people use, but the amount I hear people complain about mail.app on the Mac. Oh my God, that <laughs> app. Why, why is the iOS mail app comparatively a rock star and they can't figure it out on the Mac? Why, like, <laughs> port your iOS app? I don't care. Don't you remember our discussion from last week? Porting is hard. <laughs> Porting a game is hard <laughs> between... But uh, yeah, I, I think there's some... I know there's a lot of weight coming from it was already installed. It's called Mail. That's what I use for my mail. But I've heard so many people on, on tweet and blog and podcasts and all over the interwebs. People are like, oh, I wanted to try this new thing. But I mean, I already have Mail set up and Mail's fine. And then like the next week, there's this scathing blog post about how god-awful mail is. And it's like, oh, so are you trying some alternatives? And they're like, no, it's fine. And I just wonder, is it because is it entirely inertia? Or is it because mail and, and things like it, like document management, photo storage, like those things are important enough that the risk to reward seems huge, right? Like the idea of trying a new mail app is like, what if it loses some of my mail? You know, with this photo app, like, what if I take a picture of my kid at graduation and then it loses that picture? Like, that's gone forever. That's a valid concern. I just don't know if, you know, it's like someone saying, like, you can't walk outside in the rain. You will get struck by lightning. It's like, no, you <laughs> could get struck by lightning. Yeah. Don't live in fear. <laughs> that's Mike's <laughs> life advice. Do you feel like you're more willing to try things that if they're a huge failure, you can get your data out. Like, do you, is that a feature you look for data exportability? Yeah. If, if, if an app looks like a complete Chinese finger trap, then (laughs) I'll, 
I'll try it out in a safe way with not my real data and just be like, oh, is there anything fun about this? But yeah, I'm not really moving. And into now this. there is a perfect example of a thing I can't imagine a regular person doing. I can't imagine <laughs> the average computer user or iPhone owner or Android tablet haver saying, well, I might want this, so I'm going to be a fake person and see if it's safe. And then bring my real stuff over like that. That seems like a <laughs> that's way more cognitive <laughs> way, way than more. anyone. I don't even know if with. most people would consider that. It would just be like an on-off switch. Am I going to use this and bring over everything ever and make it my one true source of life? Yes or no? Uh, no, I mean i I rarely install backups when I get a new phone or a new device. Like I, it's pretty much ah, here's a new device. I mean, I'll sync my Dropbox over and I'll sign in with Google and call it done, but I'm not like cloning my previous device. I actually kind of hate doing that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the happy, positive side of when you used to have to reinstall Windows every 12 to 18 months. Because <laughs> I remember distinctly with my old like Dell laptops saying, oh man, I got to reinstall Windows. And then as I was reinstalling apps being like, you know, this isn't so bad. Maybe maybe I won't reinstall that game that slowed everything down or you know you know I'm pretty happy with Google Docs. I don't really need to reinstall Office right now. I'll just wait till I need to install Office and like you kind of start to feel yeah. good about it. Just in time just, software. Just installs. in time Microsoft Office. <laughs> but you you kind of start <laughs> to feel good about it. You're like, yeah, this refresh was good. Now my registry's all clean. Everything's going to be great. Well, it it also forces I think I've mentioned this before, forces me to know if my backups are up to like do i really know i got what i got yeah no i've i've had that backup horror moment where where you say to yourself oh it's backed up and then it seems like right after you had that thought you then need to rely on that backup and as you're navigating the workflows to get into your backup you realize oh my god i've never looked at how this works before I had no idea if any of my stuff was really in here or not it might have just been corrupted files all the way down yeah. It also incentivizes you to make sure whatever you need to do to get work done is very portable and reproducible and well understood. Yeah. I mean, that's that that sums up my feelings on paper and why I was like, because huh. it's it's not portable. It doesn't seem to be reproducible. And I don't understand where my data lives, because with everything else that's ever integrated with Dropbox, I could point to it and just be like, there, yeah. there's the file no matter what you know, photo editor I'm using, if it syncs to Dropbox, I know where the photo lives. Well, maybe this is them learning the wrong lesson from the failure of Mailbox and Carousel. <laughs> is oh, we have to make a fun thing that locks people in because they were it was too easy to switch before. I mean, a lot of very successful companies have operated on that model. It's if if your yeah. main concern is surviving as a business, it's probably really tough to turn your nose up at that and be like, oh no, we'll never cave in to those cheap marketing campaigns. Our game will never have in-app purchases. <laughs> and then a week <laughs> later, you, you're like, hey, uh, can you stop adding new levels and just work on that gem mining purchasing feature? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at good guy Nintendo is finally kind of caving and they're making mobile apps and they're probably going to be, they're going to be money in-app purchases. Yeah. Apps. Uh, sad panda. <laughs> 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 can you think of any this will be my last question can you think of and then i'll free you of any <laughs> apps that were aqua hired 
and then like led long luxurious lives forevermore. I know there's some Google companies that are totally separate companies, but the only really truly amazingly successful one I was able to think of that I didn't like read on a list somewhere was YouTube. Instagram. Part of Facebook now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and still I mean. totally standalone. Yeah. In fact, if you upload a photo to Facebook photos, does it automatically go to Instagram or do you not? No, so they're not totally at all. divorced. Totally separate, separate logins unless you want to tap your Facebook button and sign in. That I way. would say Tumblr too, but they're kind of tanking a little bit. <laughs> Yahoo as a, as a Titanic. <laughs> it's been going down for so long. So, I mean, this is good. There are not only <clears throat> some successful examples, but they're like mega successful. Like this can be done. You know, Sparrow, it's Sparrow could be acquired by Google and not have everyone fired and all the features shut down. Although I would in in the email, the defense of how important email is, Sparrow could probably, I, you used Sparrow, didn't you? Did it work with yeah. any mail client? Or any, any um, mail service, I mean? It, it started out as Google, Gmail only, and then they added IMAP later. Oh, okay. So that, that actually kind of dumps my specific analogy on its head. But the point I was getting to is if a company like Google or Microsoft or Apple buys something and it was previously platform agnostic, then your fear immediately becomes, are they going to cross off every checkbox except use this with my iCloud account? And now you're like, <laughs> oh, I loved this when I could use it with Gmail, but now I can only use it with iCloud. Or I love this when I could use it with any IMAP service, but now I can only use it with Gmail. Yeah. I mean, Logic, it was an independent company before Apple bought them. It's still here. Are they an independent company still within Apple or just the, the product no. survived though? <laughs> No, but the product hasn't been final cutted yet, which I'm, <laughs> I'm hopeful they never do that to it, but you never know. I did when you were first teaching me logic and I did love that you called it like baby mode when you open a new installation <laughs> and it's like, oh, hey, they make it look like GarageBand because yeah. they want it to be a ladder up yeah, from like, GarageBand. I, I hate GarageBand. <laughs> Let me make that on the record. But every time someone asks me about podcasting, they're like, oh, I've heard you can do everything with GarageBand. I can like hear you over my shoulder being like, tell them no. Tell them to use real editing software like a champion. Don't let them use that baby garbage. You really can. If you just need to edit a podcast, you can do it. But, uh, well, but you're also a musician. Uh, and I'm sure that the features around music are a lot more limiting. Yeah, well, that's actually kind of ironically the problem with GarageBand is it's it's a baby app geared towards music. So if you want to use it for podcast editing, you can, but all the, everything's labeled with instruments. And, you know, it's like, well, what if you wanted to throw crazy reverb on that? And you're like, but we're just having a conversation. <laughs> well, also, uh, all you need to release are, are four chord songs anyway. So why do you need all those buttons? Uh, all you should be able to do is control the tempo and the key. And then it should just always be uh, those four chords. Maybe the order of the chords. <laughs> And then plug in an Apple Pencil on the side. <laughs> All right. Take us out. <laughs> All right. This was episode 97 of Flipping Tables. Thank you so much for listening to the end. I'm sure all of you always listen when we get to this part of the episode. Uh, 
Me and David Lyons are both online. Um, but before that, you can check out the links to all these episodes and articles and uh, see if we gave a fair reading of them at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 97. Um, but as I was saying, we both kind of live online. We love conversations and feedback and uh, people telling us we're wrong, even though we're not. And uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Medwards Music and Lions. At Lions in Beta. So send us your questions and comments and topic ideas, and we'll we'll think about it. <laughs> um, we'll probably answer you within thirty seconds, actually, but don't worry about that. Um, we're we're hard at work at our jobs. Um, <laughs> You can subscribe to our show from our website. There's an iTunes button. If you happen to be an Apple user, you can uh, quickly subscribe that way. Um, or if you use anything else, or even if you're on an Apple device and you just hate their app, um, you can use the RSS feed to subscribe from pretty much any podcast app on the planet, um, except Stitcher, but don't worry about <laughs> Stitcher. Um, so if you know if you need some suggestions, you could use Overcast.fm if you're on iOS or uh, Podcast Attic or Pocket Casts are some great choices on both platforms. Um, they work great. You can search for flipping tables or use the buttons on our website to subscribe. If you'd like to support what we're doing here at Sunrise Robot, you can support us directly at patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, depending on uh, you know your, your level that you support us at you can uh, get your name mentioned and uh so special thanks to matt mariner sean Byrne, benji robinson and mailbox cunningham and carolyn kraut uh you guys make this possible thank you so much see you next week